You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. November 10 and 11, you know, November 10 is, you know, the better holiday. That's the Marine Corps birthday, and we always forget that. That's a shame. But, uh, you know, we're going to look in Jeremiah this morning, and that's Veterans Day there, November 11. And, um, you know, Jeremiah really wept for his people. It's okay to know what your nation was, what your nation is capable of, and to feel sorrow for it. A guy told us one time after an election, he goes, it doesn't matter who's president, you know, God's in control. And he's like, I'm not going to worry about it one way or another. And it really bothered me because I thought, you know what, Jeremiah wept for his nation. It's good to weep for your nation. It's good to pray for your nation. We're supposed to pray for those in authority over us. We should do that. And so I pray you'll do that this week. And one thing I thought today, too, we got some young people here, and um, we, we did that, uh, that uh, Veterans Parade yesterday. There wasn't that many young people there. There was a bunch of old codgers, a bunch of Yankees there. I saw that. A bunch of people from Fairfield there, but there wasn't a bunch of young people there. And so we've, we've failed in passing on a patriotic view of, of America, what it stood for, how it was founded on godly principles and on Christian principles and on the Bible and on the Magna Carta and positive things, the Mayflower Compact, all dedicating governments to God. And, and that's how it was started, and we've lost that. So young people, think about it. You get to do the stuff you want to do because of the people that went before and uh, those that passed and those that lived that carried scars afterwards. So consider that this week, older people, Tell a young person about how good it is to be uh, alive because of the veterans or alive because of the Constitution or alive because of those that fought in the American Revolution or the Civil War or, or the World Wars or whatever, and that we get that freedom to do that today. Do that this week. You can do it. I want to tell you about, we read this, and I want to read this again because I want to tell you about somebody. It's, it was in that Psalm 77. And it said, this is my anguish, but I'll remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'll surely remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the one, your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. So I want to talk about one of his deeds there uh, this morning. And some people that I really love, and I hadn't seen them for a long time, came this morning. And their little daughter that's sitting here, I'm not trying to draw attention. Don't look at her. Don't look, because you'll make her embarrassed. But Scott and Kim Hoover there. But that little girl is a miracle that she's here today. She had more health problems you can ever believe. I mean, there was no way that she's alive. There's no way. And she's a miracle of God that she's here today, 12 years old. And they prayed. That girl's alive from prayer. I promise you, that's a miracle of God sitting there in your midst, and you don't even know it. And so, uh, oh, man, I can't remember all the health problems she had. And uh, it just, every day it looked like she wasn't going to make it till tomorrow. Every day, please pray, she's not going to make it till tomorrow. Every day, for years, for a couple years, four or five years. And they, and the parents hung in there, and they prayed for her, and the churches prayed for her, and people loved on them, and people prayed for them. They asked God to intercede, and she's alive today, man, 12 years old. Cute as can be, and I don't know. She says she's going to be six foot tall, but I don't believe it. <laughs> but uh, but I'm super excited to see you all in. And, um the years. God, God operates in years. We want an answer now, but like, us, like uh, we always say, you know, give him a second. He's got other stuff going on. Give him a second to act. Keep praying. Knock, seek. Ask, seek, and knock. Keep doing it. Keep asking. Keep seeking and keep knocking, and then he'll bring the increase, and he'll bring the miracle, and we'll get to see it, and uh, it's just really exciting to see that. So glad you guys are here. 
You other people that are here that I didn't give you a call out, glad you're here too. <laughs> you should have known me earlier and I would talk, say better things about you. We're going to look in Jeremiah 18 this morning. This message is really from last week and I really had a, a, a real encounter, I say, with, with the Lord in a different way than is general for me. And I, in reading a book that it was the first book that C.S. Lewis wrote, um, it was called The Pilgrim's Regress, and it was a little tough to read. In fact, he went back and edited it about 10 years later because he wrote it as a new believer, still trying to come to grips with who God is and who the Father is and, and who his messengers were. But in reading that, um, I thought what, what really struck me and what I really want us to see today is, and the reason we sang all these songs, I, I sent all those songs to Emily. Generally, she chooses the songs, or I'll choose one, and she'll choose a majority of them. But just in that, um, how good the Father is, what we've been presented of, of who the Father is, but who the Father actually is. So as the start of the message seems a little negative, hang on, because I promise you it's going to be positive. How many people have heard a message on the, everybody's heard a message on the potter and the clay, and we sang that old song, you know, I'm the potter, you're the clay, and it's all sappy and loving and all that jazz. And, and then I read it for myself, which is how we should treat the Bible. We should read it for ourselves. And that's not how it is at all. It's very painful. Let's read it together. It's in Jeremiah 18, 1 through 12. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 12. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I'll cause you to hear my words. Where do you hear the word of God? At the potter's house. If you ain't in the potter's house, you ain't going to hear the word. Go to the house where the word's being spoken. That's a side one. That one's for free. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I'll cause you to hear my word. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, and as, as it seemed good to the potter to make. He made it again as it seemed good to him to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, look at this. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up or to pull down and to destroy... If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I have thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now. Every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, this is hopeless. So we'll just walk according to our own plans and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. I'm not trying to bring fear to you, but I want you to see there that this doesn't just apply to Israel. One thing. He says any nation, if I desire to do good to a nation, which he's done very good to our nation because men of God have sought the Father sought to do godly things, but for a long time we've not sought to do that, and so therefore there's probably a price to pay. However, when we look at this verse, what I don't want you to see is that the Father is only wrath, that he's looking to destroy. It says he has the power to pluck up or to, uh, to pluck up or to pull down, but that's not all that he is. And so I want you to catch that today, because I think many times as young people, I think in a 
And the way I remember it as a young person, how about that? But I think many of us experienced similar things. There was this, you know, fear God and keep his commands for this is the whole duty of man. And they emphasized, whoever taught us, emphasized the fear of God thing. And if you feared God enough, you would never do anything bad. And you would, this would just kind of this tool to make us do good and to be good. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody had that experience, like as a young person, like if you do this, you know, everything's going to send you to hell, you know. And even after you're saved, or you assumed you're saved, they're always, they, whoever they are, the, the magical they people, whoever they are, they're always telling you these negative things that are like, well, if you do that, well, that's sin. If you smoke, that's sin. If you drank, ever drank, that's sin. If you ever look at pornography, that's sin. If you ever, you know, went out, went out with a girl who did, then that was sin. Like everything was sin, and you're like, well, how can I raise my head up? I thought I was saved. Well, I mean, I don't even know if you can trust your own salvation. And so we constantly got this from false teachers, which is something um, that we see. And I think even in those teachers, many of those servants of God truly thought they were doing well. One thing that um, in that book that C.S. Lewis, he described them as uh, stewards, stewards. And then, but when the stewards spoke of godly things, like when they were just talking, we're just talking, we're just hanging out, they looked like this. And then when they talked of godly things, they put on a mask. And then the mask was like a, a scary mask, right? And so that when people saw the steward, though the steward was speaking, he was speaking for God, but he had a scary mask. So God must be scary mask. And then if he was going to tell you something, well, you could probably get away with this. He takes off scary mask and he tells you, well, you'll probably be fine. And then he puts scary mask back on, right? And how many of us hearing preaching, I'm not trying to demean any preaching that you've ever heard or the way you found Christ through the gospel. I pray that you found Christ through the gospel, however that was. But however that was, be careful that it was the Lord speaking and not scary mass speaking. Because many times what we heard was from scary mass, but that wasn't a true represent, representation of who the Father was. And I'm telling you that the pastors... 99% of the time they were doing the best they could with the understanding they had of who the Father was or is. I want you to understand that. But man, we are fallen men, and we're distant from God in many ways. And so when we present God oftentimes, the best we can do is the servant without the mask, which is a fallen man. So then people are looking at you and saying, well, if you can do that, then I should be able to do this. Right? And so the man is judged again and not God. So we need to see the Father for who he is. So those scriptures like that, taken out of context, context, they were given to us to scare us in order to be good. And we need to be very careful in presenting the Father that way, present him exactly as he is. But back in Jeremiah and Isaiah, the priests had repeatedly led the people to bad pasture. And I think that's happened in our culture a lot as people have tried to, pastors and Assorted ministers of different types have tried to encourage people to come to church with whatever trick or bounce house or smoke machine or whatever that they can convince them with. I'm not saying they're wrong. I understand they want to gather the people. But when you gather the people, you need to speak the truth to them so that they can find the Father, so that they can find the true messenger of God. He sends messengers in every age. And in every age, some of those messengers get distorted. You know... Um, Balaam, the talking donkey guy, he was a messenger of God. He All the prayers that he prayed were godly prayers because he said he couldn't speak against what God told him to speak. But when it came down to it, he was a false teacher because he convinced the Israelites to, to have dealings with the, the Moabite women or whatever. You know, in, in, 
97% of what Balaam was doing was right exactly, and in this 3%, he destroyed 50,000 people. Got to be careful. We got to be Bereans. We got to study to show ourselves approved under God. We got to read it for ourselves. So those, peop- those priests of old, intentionally or not, through arrogance or pride or just thinking they had some higher understanding or whatever, oftentimes led people into bad pasture or murky waters, fed them in dangerous regions surrounded by dangerous people, enemies of God. And they should have had them in the sheepfold. And they should have fed them the good pasture. They should have been leading them to the good shepherd. They should have been leading them to the good food and the good water. That one stream that comes from below the throne in, in Zechariah and Ezekiel and in Revelation should have been taking them there, the river of life. That's where they should have been taking them. I'm going to tell you, even Jeremiah, if you go back to Jeremiah chapter 8, uh, I'm sorry, 18, uh, 23, Jeremiah was no Messiah. He was a Messiah figure. But look how heartless he is towards, his, towards the people. Christ, not this way. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel. We're at Jeremiah 18 and 23. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight, but let them be overthrown before you deal thus with them in the time of your anger. Crush them. Oh, aren't you the messenger? Where's the love, man? (laughs) There's no love. There is love. You get tired of getting kicked around, I understand. But these are his people. And for his people, he's saying, Lord, do not provide him atonement. What did Moses do on the other hand? He said, Lord, kill me, but save them. Jeremiah's like, kill them, but save me. Many pastors are a lot more like Jeremiah than they are like Moses, I'm sorry to say. But the mass shepherds, um, they hadn't brought even Jeremiah. And and I know this was a a difficult time where men as a whole for this whole nation had turned their backs on God and and they were doing wicked things. We'll see what they were doing there in a minute. But even in that time, um, if the if the priests had been consistent in bringing the people to the true Father, it wouldn't have got this bad. What's happening to us today is people have gotten slack in bringing people to the true Father. We have an idea of who the Father is. You know, you hear that a lot. God is love. God is love. God is love. And then we use that to justify, many people do, for their sinful life. Well, God is love. Well, yeah, God is love, but you're living a homosexual lifestyle, and that is unacceptable. You're living fornication. That's unacceptable. You're greedy. You're a liar. You're a murderer. (laughs) You're covetous. You're a blasphemer, and that is unacceptable before a holy God. But God is love. Yeah, he is love. But just like a loving father would do with his son who was out of control, he's going to discipline you when you're going against his will. doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It's because he loves you that he disciplines you. So Jeremiah, or said Mark 9, verse 42, it says, But whosoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So we've got to be really careful. I know this is Jesus and he's talking to a young child in that moment, but it's a play on words too. He's talking to young believers. He's talking to the newly saved. Um, somebody was talking, I can't remember who it was. One of you guys was telling me about, uh, no, I know it was, it was in Mexico. And this guy went down there to minister to him. And he said, man, all these people are Jehovah's Witnesses there. I don't know what happened. I can tell you exactly what happened. The same thing happened in Peru. 
People went down there, presented the gospel to people. People were desperate for salvation. They accepted Messiah, and they left them with no pastors. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses flow down there, Mormons and so on, and snatch them up and gather them up, and very quickly they become Jehovah's Witnesses. They're desperate for relationship with the Father, desperate for relationship with Yeshua, and, the, and that's the only thing they get presented. They're like, okay, must be right. God sent us a messenger. This is the guy. I'll follow this guy. And they're off track. And I'm telling you what, they are indoctrinated in that. You can't, once they got them, they got them. It's very difficult to draw them back out into a, a, a fact of who the Father truly is. One thing, you may know this or not, but one of their views at Jehovah's Witnesses is that there's the Father, and then we have Jesus and Satan as brothers underneath the Father. That's off track. Then we have two plans for the world. Jesus is, the, you know, flip of a coin, Jesus is trying his plan out now. Satan's not happy with the plan or some conflict, but Satan's not necessarily bad. He's going to get to do his plan. When you're starting with that view right there, you got the wrong view of who the Father is. And you certainly got the wrong view of who the Messiah is, and you got a wrong view of who the evil one is. You're wrong all the way around. And those are false teachers. And they're going to be abundant in the last days. And it's sad to watch people turn to that. But it says in Jeremiah 18 again, verse 8, If the nation against whom I've spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. So that's the question. What's the evil? Well, I mean, is there a particular evil that i got to relent from? Because I mean, it's like the Sunday school thing where if I, you know, pull the girls' pigtails in class in Sunday school or whatever, which... Someone I know might have done that. Um, does that mean that you're done, that God's rejected you in that? Is that it? That's your one chance? What's the evil? Is it an evil word? Is it an evil attitude? Um, is it a false view of God? Is it a blasphemous thing? What's the evil? The easiest place to find that is in Isaiah 59. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah 59. It's right there, right close. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, talks about your sin separating you from God. But 3 and 4 kind of describes the things that are the things that separate us from God, the kind of sinful mindset that would separate a person from God. It says in verse 59, 3, it says, For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity. Well, well you can start right here. This is as a nation now. You can measure yourself against this list. I, I would say you would not meet this list, but... Your hands defiled with innocent blood, is that true of our nation? Our fingers dipped in iniquity? The iniquity essentially means the crooked way. I mean, it's one thing in our life for our road to go like this, up and down, as long as we're on the straight and narrow going towards the Lord, but something else for it to go like this, in and out of the woods. And our nation is, is in and out of the woods. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters perversity. No one desires justice. No one wants truth. They trust in lies and empty words. They just uh, think TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. There you go. Empty words and lies. They don't mean anything, but they occupy men's thinking. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They don't just come up with new ways to do bad. They make plans to establish it, and then they actually put it into play. So this is very descriptive of the nation we live in, but not just ours, but many nations live like this. But what about you personally? So if you don't live like this, if this is not your view of life, 
If your hands aren't constantly in iniquity, your lips constantly speaking lies, your tongue constantly speaking perversity, you desire justice, you desire truth, you desire to do right. If you know to do right, do not do it is a sin, but I desire to do right. Well, then this ain't you. This nation right here can be going on with you dwelling in its midst. It's very possible. I, I, surely, for you to be here today, most likely I would say that your desire is not this. So there's a discipline for this. There's a destruction for this. But there's not a destruction for those that are called by his name. And I fear that many people, when they hear a message, they think, well, the Father is wrathful and he's powerful. He is. But not to you. Because you're his. Men who are naturally enemies of God, they should be looking out the corners of both eyes and running like the wind because he's, he's dogging their steps. But not you. You're his. That you, to those that are called by his name, he gives the right to be called children of God. If you're his child, then what are you afraid of? It's not you. That's not, the fa that's not the father that you have to deal with. He is capable of those things. That doesn't mean that's what his desire is, to grab you and slap you around and shake you down and, and, and turn you over and beat you down. And I'm not trying to go like new age or philosophy on you. I'm just trying to conclude for you and hoping you can see that some of those mass servants sold us a, a bill of goods. They told us something that wasn't completely true about the Father. He is capable of disciplining nations because nations are, they reject him. They reject his authority. They reject his ideals. They reject what he tells them to do. But it's just that the children don't know him very well. He has the power to destroy but that doesn't mean that's his first and foremost desire for his people. And here's another thing. He has long-suffering. He has great restraint. He desires not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He doesn't destroy us because of that. And this repentance that it's talking about in that scripture is not a one-time turning from sin and then, and then finding Christ and then never following him again. That's not right either. I mean, if you have a good father... Wouldn't you want to be a good child? If you have a good father, don't you want correspondence with him? Don't you want development with him? Don't you want intimacy with him? Don't you want to be able to sit on his lap without fear of getting backhanded? Don't you want to be able to come close to him and put your arm around him? I've told you before a hundred times about Strong's picture there when he was a kid and his arms on his dad's thing. And his dad was known as a harsh, I mean, not a harsh man, but a kind of a strict guy, an all business kind of guy. And Strong wasn't afraid of him. He's got his arm on him. He's a little kid. He's his father. He's capable of discipline, but that's not how Strong knows him. He knows him as both. He knows him as all. So the, the turning from sin is important, yes. It's critical. Following Christ is critical. But as you begin to follow Christ, become a friend of Christ, become a brother to Christ, you understand the relationship that he has with the Father, and he's developing that in you, then your, your view of the Father should change. We've got to know all sides of the Father. And the Lord Jesus knows him better than any, and so I thought we should go read some scriptures where he talks about them. One thing that we tend to do, I've noticed, is uh, we try to do, and 
you know, we go to James and we read that faith without works is dead. It's a dead faith. You're not doing anything. Um, therefore, you're probably not even saved. You've got to be careful with that, too. I'm not saying there's not truth in that. That is true. But you can distort anything that's true and make it into something that's not as true. It's true. Faith without works. There should be some demonstrable spiritual fruit in your life that shows that you don't live as you once lived. The old man has passed away. Behold, the new man has become. Here he is, a new man. The old man lived this way. I don't live that way now. I live this way. I don't look like that anymore. So we think, well, in order to be good, so so Father loves me more. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to memorize 100 new scriptures. I'm going to go on a mission trip, and I'm going to serve the poor. But then with all this work, I'm still frustrated and beat down like I haven't pleased him enough. When will I have pleased him enough? Will he love me as much as he loves this person over here? This person over here has a great relationship with him. And my relationship seems very distant. And, and, and I don't feel, you know, I don't feel loved by him. And we're looking for a feeling, and that's subjective, rather than the objective, which is the truth, that he loves you. So what's the difference between a Christian that thinks he has to you know, read the Bible a hundred times and do all these things, and a Muslim who crawls up the steps, the thousand steps to do whatever it's called, where they go to all their holy sites. What's the difference? You're doing the same thing. You're trying to appease a God that you don't know. Maybe he'll accept me if I crawl up the steps and get my knees bloody. So it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. And if we receive salvation, then why do we keep trying to find salvation and doing these things, and I think part of that, this is my last, I think. I don't want to say I think too much because I want to know what the Word says and I want to do it by the truth, but one of the issues here is we, we still got this sin that we're playing with over here. And then we think, well, I can do these good things over here and it'll counterbalance the bad things I'm doing over here. You know, I don't really want to give this up. I really like living this double. I don't want anybody to know about it. I would be embarrassed if they knew about it. But God understands. He'll... he'll he understands. I mean, if he's a good father, he would understand that I would act this way because he knows what I am. I'm just but dust. So sometimes I'm going to, you know, whatever. I don't want to give you examples because then you'll know what a low-down, dirty dog I am. But it's not by works of righteousness. Go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9. Here's where we begin to see who the Father really is. This is an Old Testament, by the way. We're going to go to the New Testament. Trust me. It'll be okay. It's okay to read out of the Old Testament. It's over two-thirds of the Bible, so we need to know it. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this. You should take your pencil and underline what I'm fixing to read to you that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. It's in these things that I delight, says the Lord. All the stuff. You want to scare a rich man? Either make him sick or let him get in financial ruin. He will flip out. You want to scare a king? Destroy his armies. You want to scare a poor man? I don't know. They don't have anything. They're scared all the time. But this is where glory comes from. 
an understanding and a knowledge of God, the Father, knowing that he's the creator of all things, sovereign God over everything, Yahweh. And then he, he's over all those things, but he knows me. Do you know how ridiculous that is? I know I've told you that before. He knows you. There's 8 billion people on earth, and he knows you. And he wants us to understand this, that he is the Lord. He's over all things. He knows you. And the very first thing there of highest importance was exercising loving kindnesses, chesed, mercy in some, maybe it says mercy in there, mercy and grace combined, mercy, grace, and love combined. He's that. That's what he does. And then judgment and then righteousness. But loving kindness first. And it's in those things that he delights. He wants what makes him joyful to be the same thing that makes you joyful. And when you have this together, the taste for sin becomes less. Now, if you want to bury yourself in sin, then that's really on you. And you can talk about how miserable you are in the sinful behavior, in the, in the life outside of not seeking this love. But like I said, isn't that, that's kind of on you. That's your decision to do that. Look at Romans 9, Romans chapter 9. <clears throat> this is speaking of the Lord. God speaking to the Pharaoh back in the day in verse 17, 9 verse 17. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me this way? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he called, not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Wow. What if he withholds his wrath in order to demonstrate his love? What if he did that? Would that help you? Or would you take advantage of him? That's what we tend to do. Even Jesus as a child knew how to answer when his parents asked him what he was doing there in Luke chapter 2. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He wanted to be, to talk with, to relate to his father, his heavenly father, the father of all creation. He wanted to talk to him. He wanted to know about him. He wanted to speak about him. He wanted to hear from other men, fallen men, what they thought about the father. And it said, even there, when he's 12 years old, they're like, man, how does this kid know all this stuff? They were just blown away that he had such solid answers to the things of this higher nature that they couldn't answer. How does he know this stuff? Well, he'd been with the Father. 
And so he could relate to men. That's what he came for, to relate to us who the Father is. John, in John chapter 17, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and I'll declare it that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Wow, he loves us. And it seems like a really simple message. Now the more I'm talking, I'm like, man, this is like a really simple idea. But I'm, it was, it's very necessary, I think, for people. I think they see the Father as this one thing and Christ as something else. He's the one that loves. Like there's, It's like the no judgment zone. You heard about that? Go down there to Planet Fitness. I don't go there because I got mirrors everywhere and they, I judge myself. But they, it's it, the no judgment. And you think, well, God is the, he's the no judgment God, right, with Jesus. Jesus is the no judgment God. And in God the Father, he's the judgment God. But there's the same person. It's the same personality. They're connected. I and the Father are one. How he thinks, I think. How I think, he thinks. How the Holy Spirit thinks, I think, he thinks. I think, Holy Spirit thinks. It's like this. And Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he's coming back in judgment. So our time for peace with God is right now. And to be at peace with God is a good thing. And we should be, you should be, at rest, Tammy, and at peace, Tammy, before God because he cares about you. And you can have a bad day, and his day is the same whether it's good or bad for you. And his love for you is the same. And it's unconditional, but it's the same, and ours fluctuates. How many people have sought the Father and just weren't able to locate him? And maybe it was because, man, I pray it was never me, but maybe it was because it was the pastor who led them there, led them to this, you know, they had a mask on, and they told them the Father was something else. But I'm trying to tell you today, my Uncle Ralph, years ago, he told me, he said, and he was probably in about 80 at that time, and I said, well, you know, what do you preach on? He goes, you know what I wish I'd have done when I was younger? I should have preached about the love of the Father more. And he'd been preaching for 60-odd years then, you know. But he missed it. He was over here. I mean, this is just a side note again for you. This is not like Jeopardy, the game, where if you know more about stuff that's in the Bible than, than Loretta does, well, then you're better than her and you win. It's just not how it works. It's not, what's that going Trivial pursuit. It's not that game. You know, who was the uncle of, you know, Ruth's half-sister? It's not the game. It's not about how you know Old Testament names or places or dates. That's not what it's about. It's about Jesus presenting to us the Father in a way you can grab onto him and acknowledge his love for you and, be, and his care for you. And in return, you start developing in you the kingdom of heaven on earth. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right now. It's today. And you can be a part of it. And though the whole rest of the city is black as night, you can be the light shining out in the city. And you can reach another person with the love of the Father and the love of Christ and help them understand who he is. That's what it's about. It's not a knowledge test. The knowledge makes it better, but it's not a knowledge test. If you're closer, turn to John 16. And 27, starting verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name, 
And I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you love me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world, and again I leave the world and go to the Father. But while I'm here, I want to tell you something, individual sitting out there thinking that you're the one person that can't be loved or can't receive love or can't accept love or whatever, that the Father loves you. That at the moment that you profess faith in Christ, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will. From that moment, the Father loves you. He had a love for you before, an unconditional love, but it was a distant love that would only come fully into play at the moment of salvation. Because you are an enemy of God. But now that you're a child of the Most High God, he, he doesn't play favorites. He doesn't love you more than he loves me or me more than he loves you. He loves the same, but he loves you. And it says right there, you can underline it, circle it, write it, memorize this verse. It says the Father himself loves you. You can highlight that. You might use that later when you're not feeling so lovable. It would be good. So John 14, 15, 16, and 17 Right there. You can go back and read it and read it and read it until you understand the love of the Father through Christ to you. Because Jesus understands who the Father is. He knows him. He knows him, knows him. We can know each other, but you have secrets that you're never going to tell me, and I have secrets I'm never going to tell you. But Jesus knows everything about the Father, and he presents it to you. The Father loves you. And you can rely on that. 1 Corinthians 15, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Master Jesus Christ. We read that, we read that prayer, you know, in Matthew and in Mark. You know, our Father who art in heaven, I mean Luke, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. His name is great and greatly to be praised because of how good he is and how much he loves us. And just like I, I kind of, you know, it helped me having children, seeing that I had a love for them and I had a desire for them, um, but they didn't always, often did not do what I wanted them to do in the way I wanted them to do it. And it helped me to understand how the Father in heaven, I'm not saying I'm on his mind exactly, but on the same level as his mind, but... What it helped me understand is how the Father has desires for us to accomplish and things to do. And then just like unruly teenagers, we do what we want to do. But if we want to really be in tune with what he's doing, then I, what I need to do, I need to go back and read John right here, and then I need to apply these things to my life. You say, well, if the Father really loved me, he wouldn't really care what I did with myself. Because he saved me already, right? And he's a good father. But what kind of father would say that about their kid and say, well, I don't really care how my, how my kid acts? Of course you care because you don't want to see your child harm themselves or get themselves in trouble or get in trouble with the law or get addicted to this or that or whatever. And so you, you do what we can do in a human form, which was we desperately grab onto our children and try to drag them back. And when we try to drag people back, they do just like you do with the father and they pull away. Is that not true? That's what we do. And so, the good father knows best how to do it. He's like, all right, go. Pig pen's right down the road. I'll be here when you get back. And that's what he does for us. And he waits. 
Renetta told me that years ago. She goes, when you're flopping around the mud, he'll, he'll let you flop. He'll let you lay there and flop around in the mud. And when you're done, you can come back. But don't assume that because you're flopping around the mud by your own decision that the Father hates you in your pigness. The, the love hasn't changed. He still loves you. He's just waiting for you to wake up. If you have the Messiah, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, the Bible says the wrath of God abides on you. But if you got the Son, though you go to the pig pen, you still belong to the Father. And he's waiting for you to come back. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Creator, he's the landlord. We dwell in his land, but only as tenants here. And he made us a place here that's in the semblance of heaven, but not the same because of fallenness. It's been soiled by man and by sin. But there's coming a day where we're going to be with him in paradise, in eternity, in heaven. And it's going to be like it was supposed to be. And it's going to be good. It's going to be better. But he makes it abundantly clear through his son, Yeshua, who de demonstrated the father's love towards men that he died on the cross for us. And he told us right there that the Father himself loves you. I'm going to pray before we prepare for communion. And I want you to just, wherever you're at, I don't know what you've been taught in your life. I'm not, I know, I know, I know. There's better pastors. There's people more eloquent. There's people that spoke better. There's people that explained better. But wherever you're at and wherever you're at in your relationship with the Father through the Son, I want you to kind of just kind of clear your mind out and think about these things, this aspect of the Father loving you. Don't worry about the guy by you. Worry about you. Ensure that you are saved. And then exercise yourself for the purposes of godliness. When my, when my children did things for me, Dan, when he was a little kid, he made all these notes for Christmas. You know, he didn't have any money. He made me all these little notes. And he was like, you can, like coupons. And one said, you know, this is for a back rub. And this one is for a back scratching. And this one is for me to bring your coffee or whatever. He gave me all these and I could just redeem them with them, right? Because he wanted to do something because he loved me. And he wanted to um, demonstrate his love for me by, by just giving me gifts in return. And that's what the Father's asking from you. He's asking for obedience. But he's doing it out of love. And out of love for him, you should return the favor. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you today. I know different people are here with different instances of life. They've all had different earthly fathers. Maybe they've compared you to them, Lord. I pray that would never be. Lord, I pray that we would come to you in humility and, and joy that you would have us to come all the way, boldly come before the throne of grace. We could come all the way before the throne. We don't have to wait for you to extend the scepter, but we can come all the way to you because of your son. And you loved us enough that you sent your son, and you ask us to learn to love you like you love us. Help us, Lord. Help our unbelief. Help our understanding, Lord. Help our knowledge. Not knowledge so that we can hold it over someone other, uh, some other person, but help us with the knowledge so that we can know that you love us and that you desire reconciliation with us and, and relationship with us and fellowship with us, Lord. Help us to understand that today. For one that's here that may not know you, Lord, I pray that today is the day of their salvation. 
that they would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord and that you would come and you would save them. You promised you would, Lord. For those that are in active sin in their life, Lord, I pray you reveal it to them in this time and that their eyes would be open and that they would repent and they would return to you and you would receive them because you said you would. You're a good father. Help us to understand it. Thank you for your care for us, your loving kindnesses towards us that are unchanging. Thank you, Lord. We'll give you all honor, glory, and praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen.